0: You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders.
1: Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap, here comes the rush, Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark and Clark slams him down.
0: Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday.
1: First and ten, the play fake, Russell looks, gonna lay it up for the end zone, Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch, is he in? He is! Touchdown Seahawks!
0: Powered by Seahawks.com.
1: Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast on Thanksgiving Week. The holidays are here. I'm Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, John, and happy Hello. Thanksgiving. Thank
0: you, Jen. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well.
1: Thank you. Now, one of the conversation topics that becomes a very hot button topic during Thanksgiving dinner, or perhaps in the moments after dinner, is the type of pie that should be served for Thanksgiving. I will always say pecan pie is the best kind of pie, which doesn't mean that I won't have a bite or two of pumpkin or the sweet potato pies that I made this year. But pecan has to be part of that Thanksgiving celebration. And you say
0: I would lean a little pumpkin over pecan, but I you know what I like apple pie for Thanksgiving too. Really? That's good. You know, it's a fall apple's kind of a fall fruit.
1: But see, I feel like apple could be used in so many other different occasions. No pumpkin really is reserved it's for uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving. I mean, when else do you feature pumpkin pie?
0: You're right. That's true. Apple pie is I'm a just, little I'm more I'm just versatile. kind of looking
1: out. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking out for the different pie types.
0: I, I don't know why we have to, you know, make one choice, though. I, I would agree. Know, the, the family tradition for us is you ask for a little sliver of each and make it a pain in the butt for whoever is cutting oh, the pie. Oh, yeah.
1: Also, why do we have to have pie for dessert? It makes a fantastic breakfast. It's Can we not true. promote and this as a breakfast food? And going back to my food. apple
0: pie point, you're getting <laughs> fruit, so it really is a <laughs> breakfast food. <laughs>
1: Uh, It could become the breakfast of champions. All right, we've got to move on from the pie conversation because I'm sure that we have stirred up a few fights in households over which pie is better and why they're not getting apple pie for Thanksgiving. If we're talking about the breakfast of champions, I would love to know what the Seahawks have had, particularly Chris Carson and Michael Dixon and Frank Clark. And I could name a few others right now that are playing really good football. It has been a few days with the long break after playing on the short week since the Seahawks were last on the field but what did we learn from that Seahawks game against the Packers
0: you know offensively it's just more of the same they're doing they're sticking with that formula and it is working for them they're running the ball really well and then on top of that they finished one and that was that's kind of been the knock on them this year is they've been in a lot of games but they haven't quite had the finish this time they got the late touchdown they needed the defense got a good stop and and you know that defense for as bad as things looked early, they played a really good second half, kind of kept kept the team in it when the offense you know had a few three and outs and made it a game and got a crucial stop late and then Pete Carroll just loves that finish when you get the I mean if you made a list of all of Pete Carroll's favorite things in football, you know winning the turnover battle, whatever else. Being able to run out a game with four minutes on the clock is very high on his list of favorites.
1: And I would say when when you mentioned how bad it looked early, look, they didn't start well, and part of that was a fumble on the first play of the game, so you give Aaron Rodgers the ball on a short field and they score a couple of plays later. But I would say that part of... Why it was unsettling in the first half was just Aaron Rodgers himself. You know, when you look at some of those plays, no other quarterback makes some of those plays downfield. Off balance, crosses body, you know, 57 yards down the field.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's still on the defensive backs, as Pete Carroll always says, stay on top. You can't, they just do not want to give up those plays, but... It's a lot harder to stay on top when Aaron Rodgers is scrambling around and making the throws that, as you said, he's one of, if not the only quarterback in the league that makes. So, yeah, I mean, you don't want to give up 50-yard, 40-yard, 60-yard passes. Those are really hard to to take and still win, but you got to sometimes tip your hat to the other guy when the other guy is probably a Hall of Famer.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I I think that that's what the Seahawks did. Here's the good news about the way they finished. Well, there's lots of good news that uh, we'll get into when we talk about playoff implications on this one. But when you ask the guys afterwards what happened that allowed them to finish, essentially the answer was you just had to keep going a little harder than the weeks before, which means to me, once you push through this and you figure out how much extra effort is needed to close out a game, there is no reason why you cannot keep doing it there was no secret formula there was no one person that made so much of a difference against the Packers compared to the previous couple of weeks where they couldn't finish yeah
0: and especially with a young team I mean there's something to just going through it and experiencing it and you know some of these guys you know Wilson Wagner Baldwin some of these guys are veterans who've been through a lot with this team but you've got a lot of young guys who are really doing this for the first time not necessarily as rookies but just as starters things like that so those guys kinda of getting battle tested, learning what it takes to win these close games against good teams. That's that's important down the stretch.
1: Frank Clark continues to impress. He racked up another couple of sacks against Aaron Rodgers. He is at ten, which ties his career high already. And he's still got a lot of football left to play. What have we seen in Frank's overall development? I mean, it's it's been
0: great to see both just him kind of maturing as a person and as a leader. You know, that for so long that position group was Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill were the dominant voices in there. Great players, got a lot of the attention deservedly, but it kind of left guys like Frank Clark and Jaron Reed in the shadow a little bit. They've had to emerge, both those guys, not just to lead a young group, but be the playmakers, and we've seen it. You know, Jaron Reed's got five and a half sacks as a guy known as a run stopper. Frank Clark, as you said, he's averaging a sack a game You know, on pace for a pretty monstrous season. So, yeah, with Frank in particular, it's just everything about him. He's He elevated his game when it was... You know, it it's one thing to just kind of make a natural progression as player, but it was very obvious coming in this season. Look, it's on you now to be the guy in the pass rush. It was always Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, and you're kind of the third guy. Now it's your job. You have to step up, and he's done that, and it's been cool to see.
1: And, of course, he is playing for a new contract, and kudos to him for making that count, and that can be a great motivator. But here's what I would also say to that. It's not just him deciding to be – a leader now that the other guys are gone. One of the things that Pete Carroll said several weeks ago was that it is the consistency and the effort on a daily basis in practice that rubs off on his teammates more than anything else. The interesting part of that is that's not how we talked about Frank Clark as a rookie. It's not even how we talked about Frank Clark as a second-year player. You would call him inconsistent, because he still hadn't quite figured that out. So I would say kudos to Frank for identifying that before <clears throat> this year. You know, even a couple of years ago recognizing that that's the type of work ethic it was going to take to be successful in the NFL over a 16 game season.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, sometimes it just takes guys a little time to grow up and and we've seen that out of Frank and it's it's, you know, it's great to see guys Really, you know, and, and as you said, he's he's going to make himself a lot of money doing this. But it's great to see guys kind of come into their own when, when the time comes.
1: Chris Carson has certainly come into his own. He does not disappoint when he's got the ball in his hands. I need to start keeping track. I'm keeping track of a lot of things during the game on the sidelines. I've got you know kind of my own series of notes. I have got to start keeping track of how many times Steve Rabel finishes a play of Chris Carson that says he just won't go down or he just keeps fighting every single time chris carson gets the ball it's not just the one or two yards he's fighting for a couple of more in fact i think he's second in the league in yards after contact
0: yeah and there was uh, there's a third and short i believe it was a third and short not that there's the fourth and one they got 10 yards yep. but there's also a third and short where it looks like he's going to get tackled in the backfield for a loss and somehow shoots through and gets a pretty big gain out of it he's he's been awesome and then we've talked about this over and over He's been great, and you've got a lot of other viable options. It's you know it's such a drastic change from the last couple of years when it's just who's going to be running back. Guys are beat up. You can't. You know, I don't think the Seahawks had a running back gain three hundred yards last season. They've got three who have done it this year, so it's it's good to see.
1: In fact, Chris Carson is four hundred and twenty yards away from a thousand. He would be the first Seahawks running back since Marshawn Lynch to top that milestone during the course of a season. And you think, oh, Marshawn wasn't that long ago, except that it has been a few years since he's played. And when you look at those overall rushing numbers, it's not just Chris Carson. It's that entire running back room. The Seahawks are the best in the NFL when it comes to rushing yards per game. They average 154. And here's my question. For all of the people who did not like Shadi's comments before the season about how we're going to run the ball even when they know that we're running the ball. A, what do you say to those people now? And B, is there any reason to think they cannot keep up this pace?
0: I, you know, they're going to... I don't know if it's Carolina this week or another opponent down there. They're going to run into a defense that slows down the running game a little bit. And this goes back to... You know, I, I bring this up a few times with people. They say, you oh, know, the CXR, run first team, run first team. Pete Carroll's never made it his stated goal to be run first. He wants balance. And... There is going to be a game, like I said, where some teams either just going to load the box like crazy or just have a really good defensive front. And it's going to be tough sledding, and that's where the balance part comes in because you have a quarterback who is one of the game's best at what he does, and they don't want Russell Wilson to carry the offense. That's not ideal. But we saw last year he's capable of doing that. And, and you know, going back to Shadi's point, yeah, you don't want to be predictable all the time and and all that. But as we go back to the conversation about the last four minutes, they, Green Bay knew everyone, 67,000 people, whatever it was, 68, 69,000, knew the Seahawks were handing the ball off a couple times. They didn't even get to third down. I, it was first was down, crazy. second down, first down, second down, and then take a knee. To do that against a pretty talented defense that knows you're going to run yes. the ball, That's really impressive, and that's going to win you a lot of games, especially – you know, Doug Baldwin made this point the other day. Teams get worn down as the season goes on, and when you're the more physical team in the trenches and you're running the ball, that gets harder and harder to defend come December, January.
1: I just find it amazing because, you know, you figure there's going to be a couple of weeks there that are anomalies, you know, where you're racking up 200 rushing yards in the game, which is crazy, and that kind of skews the numbers. And I kind of expected that at some point a team would – you know, like like you said, load the box and take that away, and they haven't been able to do that yet. And I think that if you haven't been able to do it as of yet, boy, that's going to be tough to do. I yeah. like it. I
0: mean, I, yeah. Look, I doubt they're going to keep this 150 yard street going the entire season. It'd be great if they do, but I just I feel like somebody will overcommit to it. But that's where we've seen Russell Wilson you know, sometimes in games where you give him shots down the field, he, he'll he take them and beat you that way.
1: And here's why the running backs will continue to be involved because every single one of those guys can catch the ball out of the backfield and they will still find a way to get their yards. It's just going to look different in the box score at the end of the game. But it brings me to this. JD McKissick rejoins the team this week. He is able to practice for the first time. He broke his foot during training camp and Pete's not in a hurry to bring him back. And I don't know if that is more of a comment on we don't want to rush him or our running back group is just fine right now
0: yeah it's both i mean it's kind of like okay you don't a you don't the first and foremost is you don't want to rush him back and risk you know whether it's the foot is healed but if you bring a guy back to early, all of a sudden he pulls a groin or hamstring whatever so that's that's the first thing is his well-being but then secondly it's just where does he fit i mean you look at CJ Process, he's a guy they've always loved, and it was always just a matter of getting him healthy. He's finally healthy, and they're having a hard time figuring out what to do him with on him the field. just because of the guys in front of him are playing so well. So the one thing McKissick has going for him really over everyone else in that position group is special teams. He's he's a good returner. He's really good on kickoff coverage. So that, to me, is the one reason he might kind of force the issue sooner. But from everything Pete Carroll said, you know, they're not going to rush it. they got three weeks to make that mm-hmm. decision. And look, unfortunately, something could happen in those three weeks where he's more needed because an injury crops up somewhere. Uh, his versatility, he can help you. You know, he's a good pass catcher as well. He's played some receiver, So, you know, I, I think they're probably going to find a way to get him on this roster between now and the end of three weeks. But you don't necessarily need it if everybody's healthy just because that group has been so good.
1: Yeah. It, health on the other side of the ball. You know, the Seahawks came out of that short week pretty healthy, you know, it, same cannot be said for the Packers, who suffered a number of injuries during that Thursday night game. But the one injury that I think is a concern is that to K.J. Wright. You yeah. know, we thought that K.J. was back when we talked to him before. He goes, I want to make sure that I'm back for the rest of the season. And whatever the, the reason or the setback, it doesn't look like he's going to be available this week.
0: Yeah, you know, Pete Carroll's pretty vague talking to the media about K.J., but, you know, it's – you can kind of read between the lines when he misses a game and the way Pete Carroll talks about it and doesn't you know Pete Carroll's so optimistic in his nature generally if if there's a pretty good chance a guy's playing Pete's going to let you know so yeah it's it's really unfortunate for KJ you know he he worked so hard to get back had this knee issue and now it's coming up again so we'll see what happens we'll hear more from Pete Carroll later in the week but And the good news, they like the depth they built at linebacker this year between Mingo, Austin Calitro, Shaquem Griffin. You know, it was a little bit of a struggle for him early, but he's gotten better, you know, so if they need him, they can go that way. So.
1: And yeah. you're a couple of weeks away from getting Michael Kendricks. And exactly. back. exactly they'll get
0: Michael Kendricks back from suspension fairly soon. So it's just, you know, you'd love it for KJ if he can get back, and this defense is obviously better with a healthy KJ on the field, but they don't want it. they don't want this to become a situation where it's every single week can he finish the game, things like that. So they need to make sure he's
1: right. And it is especially important, I'm just gonna say, for the linebackers and for Bobby Wagner this week, when you've got the Carolina Panthers who do have a running back in Christian McCaffrey that can run the the ball and you never quite know what cam newton is going to do he's been available to run when we had a chance to watch the game last sunday sitting at home on our couches um he didn't look like he was he, he just looked a little bit off and maybe that's his receivers dropping passes as i think Funches dropped four passes on on sunday but this defense is going to have a uh, a tough test yeah. with cam newton
0: with cam newton and christian mccaffrey i mean he's he's become kind of like what Todd Gurley is in LA where he's on the field every snap big part of their running game and their receiving game he leads the team with 60 receptions so yeah it's you know you mentioned Bobby Wagner. this is the kind of game where middle I mean not that a middle linebacker is not always important but this is a game that really Bobby Wagner can be a difference maker Seahawks have done pretty well for the most part against Cam Newton over the years they you know I think it helps that they see a mobile quarterback in practice all the time But, as Bobby Wagner said, you can't practice 6'5", 250, whatever Cam Newton is, so... He's a tough task and he's really playing as well as he has, you know, throwing wise in his career. North Turner's really helped him out and he's highest completion percentage, highest passer rating. So it's, you know, I think his touchdown interception ratio is as good as it's ever been. So it's uh that offense will be tough. Uh,
1: he was sacked three times on Sunday against the lions. All three of those came on third down. So I like the Seahawks and their pass rush uh, and what they've been able to do so and kind third of to- down
0: was where the Seahawks got after it against Aaron Rodgers.
1: Yeah. And so I like that number. Um, um, Carolina 7th in the league in rushing yards we mentioned that Cam Newton has had 9 straight games with at least two passing touchdowns and he has now gone 18 career games with 300 or more passing yards after doing it again Against the Lions. So those are a few of the numbers to put it into perspective. And really, it doesn't matter what those numbers say. It's what that final score says and what it means for the playoff standings. Hard to believe how much better the Seahawks' playoff chances got when they didn't even play on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday
0: was great for the Seahawks. You know, Carolina losing helps. You know, a bunch of things shook out their way where it's you know when you, when you're five and five, you still have a ton of work to do on your own, but at least now the Seahawks currently control their own destiny if they can just keep winning games, they can be a playoff team. But yeah, when you play a team that's you're, you're directly competing with Carolina for a wild card spot in all reality because both both divisions kind of have one team running away with them in New Orleans and l a So this is a team that not only do you need a game to catch up to them, but then you can create that tiebreaker scenario. So, yeah, these these are all big, you know, whether it's Minnesota coming up, all the division games, these are all big. You know, Seahawks know they didn't leave themselves much margin for error.
1: Yeah, they need to take care of business against Carolina, and then without looking too far ahead, make sure that you take care of business against the Vikings. That'll keep you in position for a playoff spot. I'm so glad that you mentioned the Rams because as we wrap this conversation up, I'm curious. What was your reaction to the Monday night game and the points that were scored?
0: I mean, that's a lot of fun. There's, I, I don't know how you could watch that game. I, I understand the view of like that's not the best way to win football and you got to play better defense, all that. But I, I don't know how you could watch that game and not find it wildly entertaining when teams are training scores like that. But I think as much as that game showed, as people say, maybe what the evolution of football can be and you know why these teams are so good it also showed some of the reasons why Pete Carroll likes to play the way he does I went back and looked at the drive charts first of all both teams had 15 possessions that's really hard on a defense night one possession in that game lasted six plus minutes every other position was a uh, well, possession was under four minutes again puts a lot of strain on defense and that's not to say that these aren't are great defenses under other circumstances, but it's really hard to be good on defense when you're on the field that much, that back and forth. And then the turnovers is as, gu- as good as these offenses were. They combined to turn the ball over. I believe it was seven times, including five by the team that lost the game. Two of them were touchdowns. So again, I love that game. It was fun. It as heck. was fun to watch. And it, there's no denying that what both those teams are doing offensively is great, but I can see the other side of it. Why a coach like Pete Carroll says, you know, I like the way I do it.
1: And and I absolutely and I would say that when you get into a playoff game, you do not want that to be your typical back and forth, you know, and we can say this from having covered the Seahawks for a number of years in the playoffs and and. I saw Richard Sherman pop in on Twitter a few weeks ago that says, you know, defense wins championships, so just wait and see what happens in the playoffs, yeah, you know, something I mean, we'll, to that effect. And we'll
0: see. I mean, a, a lot of what – all the best teams in terms of record right now are these offense, you know, New Orleans that throw them in there as well. They might be playing as well as anyone in the league. But there's a pretty long history of top offenses getting beat in the playoffs by teams that play. You know, not necessarily you – Yeah, know, the extreme example is Super Bowl 48. we all know, number one defense, number one offense. It's not always that. It's sometimes, you know, I look at last year's Super Bowl, two great offenses, but the team that had a little bit better defense. Is the one that prevailed, yeah. and sometimes it's you know it's not necessarily this obvious offense defense clash, but sometimes you need a little bit of defense.
1: Yeah, you you do, especially if you need to close out a game with two minutes left. And I think both teams had an opportunity to close out the game in the final four minutes of that Monday night game, and it was still a track meet to the very end. So it was entertaining. I, I really hope that that is not the future of football. Just having. 10 games like that on a Sunday or 8 games like that on the Sunday. I like that every once in a while is the anomaly to show how fun and how explosive some offenses can be. I don't want that to be my viewing. Also, games get really, really long (laughs) (laughs) when you score that many points. 3 hours and 45
0: minutes, that one.
1: Wow! Not only am I on the field a lot, but uh,
0: (laughs) To me, though, that that kind of this whole conversation. Illustrates one of the things that's great about football as a whole is there's a lot of ways to do it. There's yeah. a lot of different philosophies in different ways that work. It's you know you, you can have the teams that win playing those shootouts. You have teams. Look, the Seahawks are five and five right now, but if they can finish the way they think they can and become a playoff team playing their style of football, it totally flies in the face of what some of these other teams are doing. It's true. And I, I really like that about football is there's there's no one right way to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's what makes it fun. It's what makes it possible for any team to win on Sunday. But, of course, we will be uh, keeping our fingers crossed for the Seahawks to get the job done against the Panthers because not only will it help those playoff chances, but it's going to make for a much more fun conversation next week, which is when John Boyle and I will join you again for another edition of the Seahawks Insiders podcast. Have a fantastic holiday weekend. We will see you next week.